This is the JT The Brick Show. Filling in for JT today is ESPN's Jason Fitz and from Raiders.com, Eddie Pascal. We're celebrating as summer gets one step closer, closer to a holiday weekend, too. Everybody's yes, getting sir. ready. Clark County is about to get out for school uh, for the summer. Everybody's in summer mode. So we're just, we got the joy, 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 joy down in our heart, and that joy comes from the Raiders getting some of your memories. 702-365-9200 on your favorite Raider moments. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz. Eddie, you've, uh, I mean, you've worked with the team, so you've seen a lot of these moments up close. Uh, can I tell you one of my least professional uh, moments? I've already told everybody some non-professional stories, but I got another one. Involving I would love that. The Raiders and, and a win. All right? So yes. the Raiders were in Nashville a few years ago on a rainy, rainy day. And uh, they were uh, they were playing the Titans, and I was uh, I was standing on the field for the game, uh, which is not usually something you're able to do. For anyone that doesn't know, usually once kickoff happens, if you're not supposed to be there, you get ushered off the field. But you know, I was I was helping out. I was carrying some cameras around for some people who wanted to be on the sidelines. Right. The one thing that was stressed to me was if you're going to be on the sidelines, you can't be a fan. You just have to like take it all in stride. Coolest way I've ever watched a football game, right? Like just standing, roaming the sidelines, carrying some cameras around, handing them to people that were actually doing work while I watched a football game and realized how different angles look when you're standing on the field than they do when you're up uh, in your seats or in the press box, right? So I'm, I'm doing fine. Everything's good. I'm, I'm handling myself. I'm, I'm being ever the professional. Like, you, you, can't, you can't hold me back. And then under a minute to go, car runs around, runs around, runs around, finds it. Gets the winning touchdown pass. And I am standing right in the end zone in front of a t- bunch of Titans fans. I started jumping up and down. Couldn't hold it back. Jumping up and down. Everybody looked at me like I was an absolute maniac. I think I lost my opportunity to stand on the field for the rest of my life right there. Like I, it, I, I held it in for 59 and a half minutes on a football field, but the last 30 seconds, you got a last second win in the pouring rain. I was taking advantage of that. Fitz, was this the Giorgio Tavecchio game where Giorgio had like, Giorgio had like multiple fifty-yard field goals? Was it that game? What year was I this? I don't. It was just a few years ago. Um, uh, I'll have to. I'll look it up. Uh, Please do because and, and because we talked about how the Raiders and the Titans. It felt like they played every year there or mul- multiple times a year for that little stretch. Like I felt like I had a second home in Nashville. But uh, they were some incredible games there. I mean, the big one that I remember in Nashville is the game I refer to as the David Amerson game, where David Amerson decided that he wanted to be the second coming of Deion Sanders. Uh, and I think he had, if memory serves, I want to say it was seven pass breakups in a half. I'm going to have to go holler at Will Kiss downstairs, our, our superb public relations director. But I just, I remember that game where DA was just literally unstoppable. Where he, I, there, there was one fit that I have such a vivid memory in my mind where he got beat going down the right side, clearly beat by a step or two. And D.A. was not like the, the tallest guy. He's probably about 6'1". But I just remember he's beat, he's sprinting, 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 balls in the air, and he literally died. I don't know if I've ever seen a cornerback have this complete of a dive. Dives, right arm, fully extended, and bats it away. And I just looked at, at Matt, who was next to me, I go, when did he learn how to do that? And it was just... <laughs> But it, it was incredible, man, and it really was. It was either six or seven pass, pass defense and a half. And, uh, but, man, they, those Titans teams, uh, they felt like they, they played the Raiders every year. And thankfully in that little era, like probably from like 15 to 17, 18, the Raiders got the best of them nine times out of ten. Yeah, that era. And by the way, you mentioned 15. It was November of 2015, and it was controversial because Derek Carr had a fourth down pass that was incomplete, and there was a controversial flag on it that gave him a first down. 
And then at the very end, Seth Roberts catches a 12-yard touchdown at the very end of the game. I mean, and Seth Roberts was like, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was, I I, I could have gotten in the way of the pass. I, I could have accidentally tripped him. I was standing so close to to the end zone when it all went down. I did not hold it together. And you, you are totally right that in that moment the the Raiders had the Titans number. If you go back earlier in the aughts, as they now call them, the early two thousands, though those Eddie George teams beat up. The, I was at so many of those games. Uh, I'll never forget. I walked in on a Halloween game, uh, and every they told everybody to wear their Halloween outfit. So I was wearing like a Halloween outfit. Buddy of mine had given me tickets in Nissan Stadium. I, I walk in six rows off the field. I sit down. I'd barely even sat down. I hadn't said a word because I had a mask on and I had beer dumped all over me because I had a oh. Raiders sign up. And it, it like Ra- Titans fans were ruthless at the time. And I sat there when Eddie George set at the time the single game rushing record for the franchise by just running down the throat of the Raiders over and over and over again. And those fans were merciless. So I didn't mind giving it back to him when I was on the field and they were in the stands. Can, can we just do like a, a deep cut for a sec, Fitz? Like, I, you know, you're a, a, man of, uh, a man of music, a man of many talents, but I'm going to go deep into the, uh, the musical archive for a sec. And I guess in a sports sense, but could we just give my guy Seth Roberts a little bit of love? Because people forget, Fitz, for, for his little like three or four year run there, I don't know if there was like a better slot guy that fulfilled that role in the NFL, and certainly in the AFC than Seth. I mean, Seth's numbers were not the most overly impressive, but this is a dude, I mean, we're talking about that 2016 year where it feels like all he did was have walk-off touchdowns. And I think that, and once again, I'm going to have to call Will, but there was an incredible stat for, I think, his career, or at least like two years of his career here, where when he scored a touchdown, the Raiders had an obscene winning percentage. It was like the Raiders won like 85 or 86% of the games when Seth scored a touchdown. Friend of the program, Seth Roberts. Shout out to him one time. By the way, you're, you're totally right. Back-to-back years with five touchdowns per season, and in those years he only had – I uh, looking at it here, 32 catches one year, 38 another. That's a ton of touchdowns for not a ton of catches. Mm-hmm. It always sort of came at the weirdest times in games. Oh, where he always came bizarre. Up big. Dude, came and, up big. Dude, and Seth was the king of, and I feel like we can say this now because I, I still, believe it or not, I still talk to Seth every once in a while, but uh, he was the king of having like a really blatant drop, like sometime, you know, somewhere in the first quarter. And then, oh, like, oh, if he had the drop, you know he's going to come back and we're going to get some sort of crazy play in the fourth quarter. Like, that just seemed to be the formula. It's like, all right, he got the drop out of his system. He's good to go. See you in the end zone, Seth. So 702-365-9200 how you get in on the phone. Just win Wendy. Hang it on. Thanks for calling the show, Just Win Wendy. We always appreciate it. What you got? Hey, how you doing, guys? I've been wanting to call in, but I'm a little hard time getting over a cold. But I got, I got two things to say and a question. First of all, you should know that I got a bonus conversation because the commercials didn't air here. I got to hear your whole bonus conversation there uh, about bucket stories and stuff like that. Oh, that's awesome. So, so just so you know, sometimes we get to hear everything you're saying. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that well, was I'm, glad, I'm glad that Fitz and I were well-behaved then. That's good yeah, enough. Well, I, I think yeah, we were, so yeah. I was waiting, man. I was going to really pull your, you know, pull it out if you didn't. But you did. You were great. You were fine. Um, I was thinking about my biggest celebration, and I know there were a bunch, um, but I just got to do the humor side, and that is that I had a huge Super Bowl party in 2002, and I was ready, man. I was ready to really celebrate. And, uh, you know, I had TVs in, like, three different rooms, and I had 
you know, so all the refresh, all the food and everything, and and it got pretty depressing. So that was, you know, the uh, the anti celebration. Um, but then I was thinking too um, of this year, and just about every game, I'd be going, "Oh my God, that was the best game!" Because I came to every game at at uh, at Vegas. But really, the best game was that first game with versus the Ravens and being there and screaming and jumping up and down with all my friends that I hadn't seen in two and a half years. And, oh, my God, I'll never forget that Ravens game. That was really, really the best. And then my question for you guys is, because um, I don't like to get too attached to different places in May. <laughs> because Smart. Because so much is going to happen, right, all the way to August. So I don't get it. I don't get attached. I just listen and try to stay emotionally distant if I can, so I don't care too much. But are you more excited to see the offense when they come on the field, or are you more excited to see the defense when they come on the field for the first game? Oh, just when Wendy, thanks for the call. We really appreciate it, uh, and I think we all share that Super Bowl story in some fashion. So we'll just uh, we'll stick with the positive here, Eddie. So. That's an interesting question to me because are you more excited for the offense than the defense? I I think the offense is capable of more, so it's exciting on the one hand because seeing a dynamic duo in Devontae and Derek that can score from anywhere, an offense that I think is just going to be impossible to stop. I, I think this has the opportunity to be a top three or four offense in the entire NFL. So I'm excited for that, but I don't know. There's something about the defensive side of the ball that to me is exciting because it's going to look so different. So I guess – I'm excited to see how the the new regime maximizes the skill set of the guys that are there. So I think I might be more excited for the defense simply because I'm taking for granted that the offense is going to be epic. Yeah, and uh, man, I mean, I think you, you say that really well, Fitz. I think I will take a slightly different approach, if that makes sense. I'm excited to see the offense simply because we do know how good they can be. Now, I think it's really important for us to be really out front and say, look, on paper, it looks great. But it's one thing to be great on paper on May 20th. It's a much different thing to be doing your thing, to be rocking and rolling, to putting up stupid points and having incredible touchdowns come week one. we got a long time between May and, and week one. But I am just so excited for the opportunity, or excuse me, for the, the chance of what they can be. Because you cannot tell me the first time that Derek Carr drops back, he finds Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams jukes four people out of their shoes and runs into the end zone for that first moment, for the first uh, Devontae-Derek moment at Allegiant. Man, I'm, I'm excited about that. I don't know if we're going to have anything better than that in all of 2022. Now, to shift to the defense, though, I mean... When, when Max is doing his thing, and I, I've talked to you about this, and I, I've told anyone who will listen, my favorite moment pregame at Allegiant Stadium is the moment when Max gets introduced, and he, he runs out, he turns to the crowd, he blows the kisses, he, you know, he, he kind of has that. It's almost like the gladiator walking out there. That is my favorite moment pregame before things get rocking and rolling. But I think for me, Fitz, it's going to be the offense. I, I talk about it all the time. I grew up, I, I, was, I was forged in the fire of Chip Kelly's Oregon teams who put up an obscene amount of points. Give me all the touchdowns, brother. That is what I want year after year after year, week after week after week. Touchdowns, touchdowns, and touchdowns. Please, please deliver them and deliver them with haste. There is such an opportunity for this offense to be as close to unstoppable as any offense can be 
because it's structured around greatness. And and I do mean greatness. Like, I, I believe that Hunter Renfro is one of the best slot wide receivers in the entire NFL right now today. Not going to be. I believe he is one of the best. I believe that Darren Waller is one of the best tight ends in the NFL today and one of the toughest guys to cover. I was watching a couple of uh, games from last year with some of my buddies that break down film, and uh, one of them said, look, I don't care who the human being is, they can't cover Darren Waller. And I believe that that's true. When Waller's healthy, I believe he's unstoppable. But what we saw last year was a massive difference in the offense uh, after Henry Ruggs was no longer part of the team for obvious reasons that are far bigger than football. But it changed the way everybody had to defend those two guys. You could basically sneak in and just say, hey, we're going to take away the middle of the field. You cannot do that with Devontae Adams still there. So you're going to have to account for somebody. The minute they start accounting for Devontae Adams, I believe it's going to make it virtually impossible to then also account for Waller and Renfro. That's why it's such a dangerous trifecta of receivers and you know I, I the Raiders are going to find somebody out of the rest of the receivers that are a part of this team that can just burn right there's going to be opportunities for somebody that's going to get one on coverage can you outrun somebody and we're going to see Carr take some long shots because of it but I, I think this offense is unstoppable because you can't you just don't have the defensive means to stop that many weapons and, and the person that we haven't brought up which is pretty crazy to think Neither of us have brought up Josh Jacobs when we're talking about weapons on the offensive side of the, the football. I mean, I'm looking at Josh's, uh, you know, Josh's numbers from last year, and look, the numbers were not, uh, you know, they could have been better. Certainly, I think Josh would agree that, you know, there, there was some meat that was left on that bone. But a lot of that doesn't fall on him, right? I mean, you and I have been very open and transparent, as the team has, about some of the struggles along the offensive line. So I don't think it's necessarily entirely fair to, to look at Josh's numbers and say, hey, oh, he did X, Y, and Z. But you look at two of the final three games that he had, and we talked about it earlier, Fitz, in those gotta-have-it, must-win games, if you don't get a W, your season is over games over that final month. Josh goes in a win over the Broncos, not, a, not the prettiest win you'll ever see. He goes 27 for 129. That's nearly five yards a carry. Two weeks later in the finale, in that game against the Chargers, Josh goes 26 for 132. That's north of five yards per carry. So if you're getting, and look, I think the expectation of Josh Jacobs getting five yards of carry for over the course of a season is just, it'd be great, but it's not going to happen. But if you can have Josh be effective running the ball, and you have Devontae Adams to worry about, and you have Darren Waller, who is essentially uncoverable when he's healthy, and you got Hunter Renfro, who's rocking and rolling, and Derek is going to make every wide receiver on that court a little bit better. I mean, tell me where the we, I mean, we all know the area to get better is along the offensive line. But if that offensive line holds up, if your defensive coordinator fits, what do you do? Who do you take away in this situation? Yeah, and I'll even go back to the last two games, the, the Bengals game, the wild card game, and uh, obviously the Chargers game you just mentioned. Above and beyond just Josh Jacobs, uh, the running back, Josh Jacobs out of the backfield, the pass catcher, was a real threat in both of those games. And it was obvious that Carr was dropping back when he wasn't comfortable with the the way the pass protection was uh, working out to, to protect him. He immediately found a way to dump that ball off to Jacobs. Jacobs was a big part in targets early on, on on both of those games. And re-watching it, I think what really hit me was we forgot how important Josh Jacobs was to the entire offense in the last month of the season. Now, obviously, health has been an issue for Josh, and mm-hmm. Zamir White's going to come in out of Georgia, and he's a running back that the team obviously believes in. You don't bring in a running back in the fourth round unless you believe that they can contribute. But I also think that, to your point, 
Zamir's going to have those same types of opportunities. And, and that doesn't even take into account whoever Kenyon Drake ends up being. So, you know, I, I think from the running back standpoint, you're going to be really fortunate because you're not, nobody's going to stack the box. You can't. Like, you, you're not going to be able to do that. So if there's any holes in front, that becomes the great question. And it raises a great question. I think one of the names we're going to talk a lot about over the next three months is Andre James. Like uh, the center, they got a big deal uh, from the last coaching regime to come in. And it was a two-year deal, kind of a prove-it moment. And year one had its ups and downs. And I'm going to be fair. You know, one thing I said last year at this time is you can't completely gut the offensive line and just take for granted that it'll work out. It did not work out. It took a very long time. And you know, people smarter than me will, will talk about some of the issues with technique and some of the issues with playing together that plagued this line for the entire season. The Raiders obviously see that puzzle the same way because they were aggressive in addressing offensive line. And, you know, Parham, who we've talked a little bit about out of Memphis, is somebody that, you know, when you saw him drafted, you might have seen guard. But there are a lot of people that think that he's capable of being a center. And there are a lot of people that think that Andre James is capable of being a guard. So I, I think what we see right now is we get ready for, you know, OTAs and we get ready for mandatory opportunities for the coaching staff to work with players is that they're going to look at all of these puzzle pieces without any consideration to contract and without any consideration to position and figure out, are there five guys here that can play together? I don't really care which slot it's in. I mean, Dave Ziegler has pretty much said as much too, Fitz, where he said, hey, in terms of the offensive line, the best five guys are going to be out there. Right. You know, we're not looking at this as as position specific per se. Like our goal is to get the best five offensive linemen that we have on the roster to be in front of Derek and to protect and and to make sure this run game is rocking. And and I think that, you know, kind of in that spirit, one thing that they have that Dave has talked about, that Josh has talked about, that we've heard a lot. and, And you kind of look at the moves that this team has made over the past several months. Versatility is the name of the game. So these are the new regime here covets players that can do a lot of different things and they can do a lot of different things well. So you, you bring up Andre, a guy who's certainly played uh, extensively at center, but has also played at guard. You talk about Dylan Parham, a guy who was drafted on paper as a guard, but has that position versatility. That is one thing that has become abundantly clear fits, certainly since the draft, but even before that, that the, the tandem of McDaniels and Ziggler, they want guys that are going to come in, they're going to compete, they're going to push the guys on this roster, but they're going to be able to do it at multiple positions. And, and when things get crazy on a game day, if you do have to move them around, if you do have to figure out a way to get creative with those five big guys up front, that they have people on the roster that are equipped to do that and equipped to do it at a high level. Parm is somebody that my offensive line buddies have said repeatedly could be starting by week one. And there is a belief from people that study offensive line that he's that capable. So for a third-round pick, that third round doesn't mean anything when you're talking about interior offensive line. That can mean as much the, the value of the position as it does the value of the player. The one thing that I do think we all need – is a reminder of something important about Alex Leatherwood. I'm not going to tell you that now because it's called a tease. I will tell you in a second something that I learned about Alex Leatherwood a year ago that proved to be true. And if that's true, it may mean better uh, better days are on the horizon. I'll explain all of it. Plus, your call, 702-365-9200, 702-365-9200. Your favorite Raiders celebratory moments. You can call and get in on the phone. Get in on the fun, I should say. He's Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz. We're in for JT The Brick on Raider Nation Radio.
This is the JT The Brick Show. Filling in for JT today is ESPN's Jason Fitz and Raiders.com Eddie Pascal. He's Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz, and we're in for JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio, 702-365-9200. Feel free to get in, hang out with us, tell us some of your favorite celebratory moments for the Raiders. Uh, Eddie and I just, you know, we we, we could have gotten ourselves in trouble. We uh, Turns out, you know, we had just when Wendy on the phone, we didn't know that she could, uh, while she was holding, she could hear our off-air conversation. Turns out we were well-behaved. So before we get to Very well-behaved. Let's, let's clarify, yeah. Fitz. Very well-behaved. Yeah. Especially for us, like, and for me, <laughs> frankly, I'm, I'm proud of my language. Uh, so I will tell you a a, a true story here. So uh, I was very uh, fortunate and uh, honored to be part of the launch of Sports Center on Snapchat for ESPN a few years ago. So when they launched a new version of Snap of uh, Sports Center that you get just exclusively on Snapchat, I was one of the five original hosts. And so uh, you know, two and a half million kids a day watching that show. We were really proud of it. We got nominated for a sports Emmy. So I was super get nominated for a sports Emmy, you know, especially in my first year doing this full time. Like, uh, you know, I've got a Grammy. I wanted to get to the halfway to the EGOT. So I was super excited. Felt like we had a real shot at the award. So uh, I I was on Spain and Fitz uh, on radio uh, the night of the sports Emmys. I didn't get invited to go. You know, Katie Nolan went as the representative for sports on snap. I didn't get a ticket, but I'm on radio. And, uh, and we go to break because they're about to announce my category. So we go to break. I turn around, and like I, I had a button. I could have turned my microphone off. I didn't see it. I didn't think about it. I was busy watching the announce. So they announced the Sports Center, or they announced the Sports Emmy for that category. And we didn't win. And, you know, I didn't know my mic was on all over the country as I sat there and found out I didn't win. And I legit said into the microphone, I thought to the people behind the glass, you know what? It's just really cool that I managed to get nominated, and I'm honored to be part of something that did that well in its first year. And I was like, yeah, it felt good. And then all of a sudden we found out it was still on air. So look, like I had a, I had a moment. But that's, I mean, that could have been way. way worse. I thought that story was going in a much different direction. Much Everybody different. Everybody that knows me thinks that story is going in a much different direction. Like the one time I didn't drop an F-bomb and it would have gotten me in trouble. I did not do it. I felt very proud of myself, Eddie. Uh, that's, that's, that's growth. It's personal so, growth. So let me ask you this. So if you get the, the Emmy, right, so we'd go, we'd go Grammy, Emmy, and then you would need the Oscar and the Tony, right, to complete the revolution, to complete the EGOT? Yeah, to complete the EGOT. What would be, realistically, do you think, the next most likely award that you could get? So I, I, guess, I, mean, I guess the question is, is, what's more likely, Oscar or Tony? Yeah, Tony, definitely, because Tony's Broadway, and oh, I, sure, I, sure, sure. I used to do a lot of Broadway sort of stuff in my life in general. I was always a big fan of it, so I would just need to align with somebody really, really amazing and talented that I thought could, you know— have a, a project that I could be a tiny, tiny part of, like maybe do string arrangements on something. And then that way, if that show wins a Tony, I get it. But, you know, as, as I said before, my right arm is the moments I'm proudest of in my life. And so I have the Grammy on there. I got the Emmy, but I didn't outline the Emmy. I just got the gold of the Emmy statue. I figure if I'm ever lucky, like getting uh, nominated is worth remembering for the rest of my life. But if I ever actually win one, then I'll I'll like outline it and make it a bolder part of my arm. So it's my that's my subtle like I got nominated, but I didn't win. Sort of uh, have I'm, I'm a nominee guy. I'm halfway to the nominee guy. But but I, I mean, as you said, man. I mean, just a just an honor to be nominated, right? It is just an know, honor. It's to just be an honor. Did you, did you have, did you have did you have a speech uh, prepared? No, no, no. Katie would have given the oh, speech. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Been, that makes it would have been riveting. 
They would not. They wouldn't let me do that. Heck, like they, they barely let me speak on panels. They're, like they're, they're, everybody's constantly afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, except for Eddie. I don't know why Eddie lets me keep coming on the show. I have no idea. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Uh, we're filling in for JT the Brick, Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz. You can tweet us at Eddie Pascal, at Jason Fitz. Uh, I, I got to tell you an Alex Leatherwood nugget here because I think it's important for everybody to remember a few things. One, let me start by saying loudly and clearly for everybody. Last year was not what anyone would consider a huge success for Alex Leatherwood in his rookie campaign. I think it's fair to say that he struggled, right? I think most of us know that when you start on the outside, then you move to the inside, and the penalties, the sacks, all of those things, that's part of what we remember. I would implore everybody to take a deep breath, number one, and then to think about what causes penalties. This is where we get really, I think, lost sometimes on offensive line play. And certainly, I'm five nine and a half and 165 pounds. Like, what, what do I know about offensive line play? What I've tried to do is surround myself with a lot of friends that are close that know a lot about it. And when I sat down with my friends and asked them about Alex Leatherwood before he'd ever taken a snap in the NFL, what I was told is that you're drafting him for his size, you're drafting him for his athletic ability, and you're drafting him understanding that he has technique problems. And one of the things that that really hit me was a a buddy that, that does a lot of offensive line work all over the country said he has so many technique things that he wasn't necessarily taught in college that he's going to struggle with penalties because when you don't have proper technique, the first thing you do is you grab somebody. Like, you got beat, you just got to make sure your quarterback doesn't get murdered. You grab somebody, you take them down. So as I watched the year unfold for Alex Leatherwood, the number of times I thought back to that conversation because that's what we saw. Whether it's, you know, little things for offensive linemen about their feet placement, about how they get out of their, uh, their stance, all of these things make a huge difference to their position from the minute the snap happens, right? And I think what's happened is so many of us watched Alex Leatherwood struggle without realizing that, hey, sometimes when you come to the next level, the coaching's different. It's going to help you. It's going to help develop you. I, I think it's way too early to sit here and wave a white flag at a feet for Alex Leatherwood until we've seen what a new coaching staff can do with somebody that obviously needs to be coached up. And the thing fits, and you bring up some fantastic points. I think the one thing that you didn't mention, which I think is important too, is that Mr. Leatherwood – not only played, but started 17 games as a rookie, right? And, and now listen, I think that you're 100% on the, uh, you hit the, hit the nail on the head where the season was not the season that any of us expected to see from him. I think that's fair. I think that's appropriate. I don't think that's much of a secret, right? I mean, the previous coaching staff said as much. Now, what he did get that is irreplaceable, that you cannot teach, that you cannot replicate in any form or fashion, is he played a ton of NFL football. He played a lot, a obscene amount of NFL football. Now, were all of his moments moments that he would like to remember? Now, certainly not, and we, we've talked about that. But you cannot replace experience. You cannot, there is no way to, to game that out in practice. There is no way to reasonably expect that you can kind of replicate those reps, that you can figure out a way to, uh, to make it similar in practice. It's impossible. So, it wasn't a perfect rookie campaign. By no stretch of the imagination was it a perfect campaign. But it was a year of growth. It was a year of learning. And I, I, I'd have to go back and look at this. And your pals at ESPN, Stats and Info might, might have a really uh, good kind of gauge to this one, Fitz. But I can't imagine that there were a lot of linemen in the NFL, in his rookie class, that started 17 games a year ago. I imagine that's a pretty short list. 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll try and get the answer to that. You know, but what I think is interesting is, to your point, if you look at the 17 games that he played, right? So if you, if you take, I'll take Pittsburgh out. He played 47% of the snaps offensively for, for the Pittsburgh game. If you look at every other game from the season, I'm looking at pro football reference right now to double check this. If you look at the other 16 games, played none of the snaps. Yeah. Like that's, that's insane. And I, I think we have to look at some of this and say, okay, where's the growth going to come from? Because Colton Miller had some moments in his rookie season that people were questioning also, right? And we saw a, gig, a, a gigantic leap for Colton Miller. I, I think part of what is unfortunate about the way the draft works is that we never forget the number next to their name. And I am long since a believer that if last year, if the first and second round picks had been swapped, if Merring, who everybody, myself including, live on air, I said, oh, the Raiders are going with, with Trayvon Merring here. Like, this is, this is a done deal in the first round. And they went Alex Leatherwood. That didn't happen. In the second round, they get Trayvon, right? So all of a sudden you end up with this switch. If Alex Leatherwood had been, as many mocks thought, the Raiders' second round draft pick, we're viewing all of this process entirely differently, right? Like, but at this point, I, I can't say it loud enough. I don't really care where he was drafted. The question becomes, how does he become a at least good, if not great, professional? And that's going to be up to this coaching staff to figure out what position he belongs in because tackle and guard are so different in what's expected from them. What position does he belong in? And then how do they maximize that skill set? I mean, you talk about, and you're 100% right, where we never forget – where you know the number attached to a certain player and that goes both ways though right for for folks like Alex who for better or for worse are always going to remember he was the team's first round pick but it also goes the opposite way as well where you're never going to forget and Ma I promise you Max Crosby certainly is not going to forget where he got drafted either we are never going to forget where Hunter Renfro got drafted we are never going to forget where Nate Hobbs got drafted we are not going to forget that some of these contributors that the the Raiders have been lucky to have in recent years didn't get drafted so the number next to them is non-existent so yeah it, it, it goes both ways and, and you bring up a great point where you know for the the remainder of his career and I hope it's a long fruitful productive career in silver and black for young Alex Leatherwood people are always going to remember where he was picked in that first round but you bring up a, another fantastic point where now it's it's on the it's the responsibility of this coaching staff it's frankly uh, the responsibility of the fans now to kind of wipe that from their memory like look last year was last year guy got some great experience it wasn't perfect, but he got some fantastic experience. What is he going to do in 2022? Because if the Raiders are going to be successful this year along the offensive line, Alex Leatherwood needs to play a major role in that success, whether it's on the outside, whether it's on the inside, whether it's as wherever, you know, wherever you put him. He is a guy, to your point, that has incredible physical assets, right? He is a beast. And if they can get him right, he is going to be a huge asset for this team, not only in 2022, but, but beyond as well. You said something when you described him that I think is also an important reminder when you said young Alex Leatherwood. He just 23. turned 23. Yep. Like, and, and 23, he turned 23 during the playoffs, right? Like, that's a – he didn't enter the season 23. He entered the season 22 years old. And, you know, when you start thinking about that level of context for him, when you start thinking about, you know, where he is in his development – 
it's, it's, it's early. It's young. And if you're the Raiders and you look at it organizationally, too much money has been invested for the Raiders not to do everything they possibly can to make a first-round pick work. We all know that's the case. And first-round picks, and you know, there's certainly been plenty today on social media about the lack of fifth-year options picked up by many teams. The Raiders, I think, were fourth lowest in, in fifth-year options picked up over the last span that was surveyed. We could talk all day long about fifth-year options, but this isn't about that. This is about the next three years on his contract. you got a 23-year-old offensive lineman that, again, in the pros, you also made him play two different positions. Like, I, I just don't see where that's and, – and we've seen this so many times when guys get cut in training camp, and, and you know, Mayock admitted as much with one of the players that didn't make it before when he said maybe we have him doing too much. Like, I, you and I talked about it yesterday. I will, again, I'll preach this. Like, you know, it's my Sunday sermon constantly when it comes to these players. Like, you got a kid from Alabama that moves and figures out how to live in Vegas and then has got to figure out how to be a pro. And by the way, they're going to give him all these nutrition people. They're going to give him new weight programs. All of these things are different while he's learning a new playbook, while he's also trying to figure out life. And then he's playing tackle, but no, now he's playing guard. Like, uh, what do you, what do you expect? Like, I, I know that it works for some people, but for most kids in that situation, it will not work if you have them if you have them doing that. And and, and listen, you know how quickly we forget it. And I, I fully understand that the situations are slightly different. But I remember not so long ago, Fitz, that after Colton, Colton excuse me, Colton Miller's rookie season, there were a lot of people with big all capital question marks about what are the Raiders doing at left tackle? Is Colton Miller going to be able to, to hold up to, to this and that? Oh, there's so many supreme edge rushers in this division. What are we going to do? You don't hear that anymore, do you? Those people got real quiet. And it's a credit to Colton for going about his business, for understanding that, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a first-round draft pick. People are going to talk about me. And just going to work and getting better day after day after day. And fast forward to 2022, he is the unquestioned, no doubt about, no doubt about it, leader on that offensive line. Now, you got a stud I, left tackle. I love the fact that so many of the people you just mentioned that were putting out huge question marks are now the people that are like, "Why are you disrespecting Colton Miller yeah. when you don't list him as one of the best <laughs> left tackles in the league?" But man. You know, I mean, that's the best, hey, right? It's the beauty of what we do. It's the beauty of fandom. We live in in such a world where we're constantly having to react, Fitz. Uh, not to, not to, you know, uh, paint with a broad breast for your comrades at ESPN, but how many takes do we have to deliver to get from, from nine to five? Like, uh, we live in a world of, like, now, 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 now. I was talking about this with, uh, with our pal Steven earlier today, where in a non-work-related sense, we just don't exist in a society of patience at all. None. There is, there is, no, there is no subtlety. There is no, uh, you know, kind of waiting for things to unfold. It's now, 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 now. It's a world of absolutes. It's a world of this guy's good or this guy's bad. Uh, and I think it's kind of our responsibility, Fitz, as you and I, are, neither of us are yellers and screamers and, and hot takers. It's important for us to be like, hey, guys, it's okay to have a little, a little subtlety. It's okay to be like, hey, give him six months. Give him a year. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, uh, there's such a fine line because, believe me, I have many people that I work with that I call coworkers that have hot, hot, hot takes that I don't think have watched a Raiders game in three years. I also have coworkers that I know study this team every single week because they take their job seriously, 
and still don't love some of the elements of them. So, like, it doesn't always have to be either or. Like, I tell everybody this every year, and I know y'all are going to get my menchies the way you did last summer. The number of times I felt like I was being attacked for whatever ESPN was saying every day about the Raiders. Like, I will tell you that there are people, whether you love or don't love their opinions, I've sat in the room with Ryan Clark, with Mina Kimes, with Dan Orlovsky, with Marcus Spears. I've sat in the room and watched them dive into tape. They may not give you opinions you like, and you may not agree with what they say, but at least they're doing the homework. There are, though, some other hot takery people that are out there, you know, that uh, whose name I didn't just mention, that may just be out there throwing heat at Derek Carr and haven't watched a Derek Carr game in several years. I'm just saying. Wait, wait, uh, Fitzer, you, you are, gotta, you telling, are you telling me that you don't run programming for the mothership? Is that what you're telling me? I, I, yeah, thought, that, I thought it was all you, brother. Yeah, well, you know what? Well, while we're on the mothership, also – the, the, the mothership wants nothing more than the Raiders to be successful. I hate to break it to everybody. Everybody thinks there's a big bias. Man, when, when, when the Raiders became relevant enough to talk about on radio, my bosses lit up, lit up. When it was like, man, this is the go-ahead. Go for it. Talk Raiders. We love it. Raiders get ratings, and all ESPN gives a damn about is making money off ratings. I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but like, they, I, I literally know all the bosses in the NFL in the NFL world, and not a single one of them are like, oh, I hope the Raiders stink this year. They're all quite the opposite. Let the Raiders be good so that the, the ratings go jacked up. I, I always thought, Fitz, that there was like kind of this secret room at ESPN, right? Like perhaps a, a grand ballroom of sorts with many fine uh, accoutrements of, of chandeliers and, and fine uh, glassware. And you just had people sitting there in their fancy chairs just kind of kind of twiddling their thumbs like, yes, yes, let the Raiders. It's like Mr. Burns, but at, at ESPN, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yes, let the Raiders fail. Let them fail. Let it burn, <laughs> Fitz. Let it burn. Yeah, the, Is that the not the secret- case? The, the Raiders, the NFL bosses at ESPN fangirled Charles Woodson on campus just as hard as I did. I'm just oh, saying it, it is true. Like, the, the, the love is true. All right, 702-365-9200. Give us your favorite Raiders memories. We'll keep breaking down what to expect. And uh, give you a little message for what you need to know going into the summer about this team. That's coming up. It's JT The Brick Show. But he's Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz. And we are hanging out with you on Raider Nation Radio. This is the JT The Brick Show. Filling in for JT today is ESPN's Jason Fitz and Raiders.com Eddie Pascal. Just when you thought your Friday was going to ease on down the road, no, we've got the transaction for you. Raiders making moves on a Friday afternoon. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz on the JT The Brick Show, 702-365-9200 to hang out with us. The Raiders have made a signing. It looks like they've added wide receiver Jordan Vesey, uh, played his college ball at Cal, it looks like, and uh, comes in, looks like a depth signing, Eddie. Yet another person in the wide receiver room, which I don't think we should be shocked by. It just feels like they're going to take a bunch of guys over here and see who can take advantage of whatever opportunities they get in an offense that's going to be tough to feed all the mouths they have. 
Yeah, 100%. I, th- I think especially at this point of the season, as we approach late May, I think it's just a numbers game, right? I mean, obviously, we, we hope the best for Mr. Vizia. I hope that he makes his team. I hope he can he contributes on Sunday. But I think after you, you look at what happened recently, Brian Edwards, into Atlanta, I think you're just kind of adding pieces. You're kind of seeing what sticks. Uh, you're playing the numbers game a little bit. Like, hey, if we're going to bring in X amount of dudes, maybe one or two of them can stick around. One or two of them can be a great depth piece, uh, depth on the practice squad, whatever it may be. Let's not forget we have those, those uh, big extended practice squads again so you kind of do get that roster flexibility and uh yeah let's see what he's got go bears i think conference of champions oh my god pac-12 bias just coming through yeah, like, it whoever is. said it that is. phrase pac-12 bias like <laughs> you know I, I don't think that's ever been uttered in in history there's a bias for west coast football uh no I, I think you're right here and one thing you know for wide receivers it's a hell of an opportunity because you know what's being expected of you, and that's one thing. Once you get to the portion of the roster where you're bouncing from team to team to team and you're just trying to stick, some of it is about where can my role be? Uh, What can I do on special teams, and what exactly do they need me to do offensively? Well, we talked earlier about the fact that Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and Devontae Adams are basically taking all of the work, right? So then it becomes about everybody else in the room and who can really show up. But you know that you're going to be going against – the rest of the guys, right? Like the best of the guys are going to be going up against, even in practice, like the best of the best. Nate Hobbs is going to get better. Iron sharp sharpens iron, as one caller said earlier. Nate Hobbs is going to get uh, better because he works against Hunter Renfro every day, right? Like our safeties and linebackers are going to get better because they're trying to do the impossible by covering Darren Waller. So, you know, in, in theory, Trayvon Mullen gets better every day going up against Devontae Adams, presuming he's healthy, right? So you go up and down the board. Well, when you start talking about the rest of the guys, the Jordan Vizies of the world, for example, they're going to be going up against the rest of the secondary. It's a real chance to shine and be able to show up in practice. And in a very practical sense, Fitz, I mean, it's no secret, and you and I have talked about it a lot over the past couple of days, Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro are going to be the one and number two options in that wide receiver room. But you need more guys in that room than just those those dudes. So, I mean, I'm looking at the roster right now on Raiders.com. Shout out Raiders.com one time and all the incredible folks who put a lot of time and effort into making it your one-stop shop for all things Raiders. But you look at, at Devontae Adams. Yeah, he's there. But you got a lot of names now. you got Keelan Cole, Justin Hall. Mac Hollins is, is a player I think that we all should be excited about. Tyron Johnson, Demarcus Robinson, Dylan Stoner, who had a couple really nice moments last year. DJ Turner. Like, you need these pieces, these, these depth pieces, to produce in some sense. Now, you don't need them to be a 1,000-yard guys. You don't need them to have eight or nine touchdowns a year. But we talked about Seth Roberts a few segments ago, Fitz. You need to have guys like that that can make the most of their opportunities and do their job and fill a role. So does Mr. VZ end up being one of those dudes who ends up filling a role? Time will tell. But you are going to see, and that's one thing that is really interesting to me, and I know it's not the sexiest position battle, quote-unquote, going into camp, but who are these wide receivers that are going to really take these jobs come July? Who are they going to be? I, I don't know. I'm excited to find out, though. I think when you mentioned depth, and, and we've spent so much time, everybody spent so much time obsessed with what the defense is going to look like, rightfully so. I think there's a lot of nerves there. But depth is becoming more and more apparent. Like we talked earlier about the fact that the draft was gone, uh, was approached, obviously, with the concept of let's get a bunch of guys that we know we can put in multiple places and make sure we're as good as we can be. Well, I would argue as much as people want to freak out about what the future of the running back position looks like, I don't really care. 
What I care about is what's the running back position look like in 2022. And the answer when you look across that board now is it looks darn deep, right? They got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. So in the, the course of now, you know, a 17-game season over 18 weeks, we have to remember that if there's anything that teams learned last last year, it's that depth was a bigger concern. Look at what we saw going into the playoffs. Like, Trying to stay healthy in this environment is virtually impossible. So the more bodies, the better. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest, too. When you get to December, January, I mean, I mean, frankly, I guess by the time you get to, like, mid-November, there's no team in the NFL that's healthy. There's not one. There yeah. isn't a single team out there that is like, yeah, man, we feel good. We're ready to go. We got all our, you know, all the horses are in the stable. We're ready to do this thing. Absolutely not. You need to, and it's such a cliche, but you need to feel good about player one on your roster all the way down to player 53. And then to build on that a little bit more, you need to feel good about a handful of guys on your practice squad because, Fitz, we see it year after year after year, whether it's the Raiders, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Niners, whoever it is, you are going to need production from those guys at some point during the season, whether it's for a week, whether it's for a quarter, whether it's for an extended amount of time. You need production from the guys on the practice squad. So at, at this point, as you're building that depth, as you're playing the numbers game a little bit, it's really important, and I know that perhaps your casual fan isn't going to get super gassed up over Jordan Vesey being signed, but if he ends up contributing, you're going to look back and be like, huh, good under-the-radar signing, Dave. Well done. I don't know, Eddie, if you ever watched All or Nothing, um, the Amazon show that like follows a different team for a year. It might hit, hit too close to home for you just watching it. You know what's funny? I've, I've, watched, uh, I've watched the soccer one. I've watched the, oh, okay. uh, the Man City one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, like hard knocks and all that kind of stuff. It's like, bro, I, we kind of see this every day, but yeah, a thousand percent. The reason I don't watch most reality music shows, you know, it's just, it's, it's too much, uh, but all or nothing a few years ago, followed the Cardinals when they had just an absolutely incredible season that not a lot of people expected at the time. What was interesting to me at that time was seeing their front office ownership, GM, everybody on the same page about depth signings as the year went on. And the number of times that they found themselves doing tryouts, you know, on a Tuesday, sitting there saying, well, maybe this guy can come in. Maybe this guy can come in. How can we contributions from there? I really walked away from it, reminded that player and talent acquisition is a year-round job for everybody. And sometimes a guy coming in at this point might not even be with the mindset of, hey, we need him right now. It's we can bring him in. We have the roster space. Let's run around with him a little bit, figure out if he's somebody we like. And if we if he is, then we'll keep him in our Rolodex. And we might need him later this year. Same reason that some teams bring in people for draft interviews that they have no intention of drafting right now. It's like we don't need this right now, but we want to get to know this player because he might be on our radar in the future. That's real. A hundred percent. I mean, Josh, Jan- or Josh, Janos, Josh McDaniel said that during the draft. Where he said, you know, there's a very human element to all of this, where you 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 get a chance to meet these prospects, you get a chance to learn their stories, you get a chance to meet families and learn more about a player than just how fast he runs the forty and how many tackles he had in, in college. He goes, and those relationships are important because you never know where your paths are going to cross again, and you never know where, hey, maybe this guy is is one of the final cuts for a team, and he has kind of his choice of where he's going to end up next. Well, he's going to remember that you guys had a bond, that you guys connected. That kind of stuff is incredibly important. And whether it's six months down the line or five years down the line when a guy is looking for a new deal, that matters, Fitz. This is a people business. I know we talk about it all the time, but this is 100% a people business. All the more reason why I think a reason to be excited for this summer and this year with this Raiders team 
is that the people that are running the organization are in the people business and they're on the same page together. That is the inspiring part of it. Speaking of the people business, we're the men of the people somehow, yes, some way. Eddie Pascal, I'm Jason Fitz. We really appreciate you letting hang out, letting us hang out with you on a Friday. Enjoy your beverages responsibly. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the summer. Eddie, as always, it's a blast hanging out with you, my friend. Oh, my God. It couldn't have been better. And they, big thank you to Q and Doug for asking us to do it again, man. I mean, they haven't Look kicked us that. out yet. Uh, well, well, one day at a time. Uh, JT, thanks for letting us take the slot. You guys have a great weekend. This has been Eddie Pascal and Jason Fitz on JT, the Brick Gum Raider Nation Radio.